found on the Michigan Business Network and the Leadership Lowdown right here with Vic Verschereau. And I'm so glad to have with us today David Norris. He's the founder and CEO of Castle Financial Partners. And so, David, welcome to our show. We're glad to have you. I'm glad to be here, guys. Thanks. Yeah, it's really good. It's good to have you here as a part of this. There's so much that uh, we have to talk about. And before we get started on that, let's make sure everybody understands your current role. What is it? that you do and what is it that you lead as CEO of Castle Financial Partners? Sure. So Castle Financial Partners is an independently owned and operated family business um, that specializes in financial planning and really, you know, we just try to meet people where they're at and put together a plan for them to help achieve their financial goals, whatever those may be. And like uh, the big, uh, you know, box companies uh, like Edward Jones, we do the insurance, investment, and retirement planning, um, just with a little bit more personal touch on it. Yeah, yeah. And so I know not officially met personally, so I don't know, have you been at this, uh, did you start it in your garage last week, or is this something you've been doing for a long time? So I did start it in my basement. Oh, very good. <laughs> so I think giving some context to that, it's important. It's yeah. been around since 2017. But I actually started in the business with a company called the Centennial Group, downtown Lincoln. Sure, yeah. um, I started there in 2008 and, uh, you know, had a lot of success there. It was funny. So my story on leadership basically went uh, like this. I started there in eight. By uh, 2009, I was showing some promise. So the manager at the time says, hey, Dave, I'd like to talk to you about this management training program. I was like, great. So I accepted the management training program job. She then left over that weekend, so that was a Friday. So Monday morning, I go to the CEO, um, his name's Sal Derslow, and I say, hey, hey Sal, uh, you know, they were talking to me about this. He said, hey, I need a few days. So we went to lunch, let's say, Wednesday or Thursday that week, and he said, hey, man, you got a lot of promise. Uh, you are now the manager of this <laughs> office. And I looked at him, shaking in my boots, and said, okay. And he goes, I'll move you from a cubicle to an office with a door. Because <laughs> he had said, said, well, for that, it was worth it. I basically spent most of my career in, as a financial advisor in the leadership aspect. Yeah. Um, and so I spent a great eight, almost nine years there. And really, uh, leadership became really important part of my personal vision and journey. And I wanted to uh, just have a bigger grasp. So we were later bought out by Principal Financial Group, which... It was interesting. It was like going from this small family-owned company to this big conglomerate, which was really cool. I really enjoyed my time with principal. But then I wasn't necessarily in control of everything. Right. And I wanted to uh, basically do what my boss, Sal, was doing. And um, so I went to the powers that be, and they said, listen, uh, you know, you're in line, but it's going to be probably 10, 15, 20 years until Sal retires. And I just didn't think that I was going to be able to grow in the role that I was in as a managing director, basically running the Lansing market for principal. Sure. And so I took an opportunity uh, in Southfield with Mass Mutual as a senior partner and really loved my time there. No offense to the people who live on the east side of the state, but you've got to be an east side of the state person. Mid-Michigan guy, yeah. born and raised in uh, Diamonddale, went to whole high school. So... I really liked the hustle and bustle of the big city, but I didn't like the commute, and I wasn't prepared to relocate my family there, so I was driving 92 miles each way, oh, wow. and uh, my son at the time, he was, oh gosh, one, 
one and a half, and I was missing some points that you wouldn't miss if you lived in Lansing, right? Right. So I'm uh, sitting on that couch with my wife, and I, you know, I miss him saying his first word or, or something like that. She said, you've always had this dream of starting your own firm. Why don't you do it now while he's young? She goes, because you're missing all this time now, but why don't you miss it for a reason, right? And so I took that advice and uh, said, well, you, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. So the next day, I went in there and signed in December of 17. Started Castle Financial Partners just in, in my basement. And then later relocated to a small office in real town. And then now we're in Holt. Well, David, I just love what you've done here with making a decision like this to start your business while your family's young. I think that's brilliant. And I guess as time goes on, it seemed to work out pretty well for you, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, Brilliant and me don't. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just understood it from my wife's perspective. Really, is uh, and I try to align decisions with vision and values a lot. Um, but this I can't take credit for. Right. So right. My wife was like, "Hey, if you're going to be gone, you might as well be gone here in town where we can come have lunch you know, uh, rather than be you know a two-hour drive away." So yeah. It really just. Uh, came to, you know, a family decision at that point. Well, these decisions are interesting. You know, I honestly had a chance one time to visit with Bob Seeger, and uh, we were honoring his daughter because she had won an essay contest, and her essay was about how he had left the touring of all of his music behind so he could come home and raise his daughter. What a noble thing that was, and what a difference it was in her life. And, of course, that's the kind of things we do when we're people of integrity and we do the right things all the time. And I'm just sure that we're going to hear more about those kind of stories when we're talking here with David Norris. He's the founder and CEO of Castle Financial Partners. And we're so glad we've got him here today on Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Versero. We'll be right back. For a home equity line of credit, ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to laughq.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. You've got the Michigan Business Network right here. You found the Leadership Lowdown, and we found David Norris. He is the founder and CEO of uh, Castle financial partners. And of course, when we talk about uh, doing this, you struck off on your own, but you, I always like to say that nobody does it alone because along the way, we've had people that have poured into us and influenced us along the way. And so David, when you think about this, (laughs) I think gutsy move to take a step and do your own thing, you had to have some people along the way that have influenced you and maybe inspired you a little bit. Does some names come to mind or some experiences? Yeah, I You know, that's a great question. Um, So I've been very, very, very blessed, more than most. Uh As I talk to my peers about just having good leadership to learn from or 
you know, pattern myself after. And I think it all started with my father, Al Norris. And, you know, he taught me basically how to work. I mean, I guess when I was 14, 15, you know, in my teenage years, I hated it, right? But, uh, you know, he showed me, my dad was a police officer, and he went to work every day with a very, you know, blue-collar attitude, obviously, in that. And so he showed me the value of working hard and being disciplined, and I think that was big at an early age. And then I'm a former athlete, so I had a group of coaches, um, Mike Smith and Jack Rarick, who in this area are pretty famous, bless their souls, they just passed away last year, but, uh, and then... Bob Fry and Mike Sparks in the college, who taught me that, you know, life isn't easy um, and the world's going to keep spinning, so you got to get up, that there's always going to be somebody bigger than you, and you can't push people unless they know that you care about them. Oh, yeah, I love this. This is really good stuff. And so before we go too far, tell me a little bit more about that. You can't push people unless they respect you, or tell me more about yeah. that. So, you know, the relationship a player and a football coach have, mm-hmm. um, I think it's over-dramatized, but you see these guys on TV yelling <laughs> at their players, right? Yeah. But what I learned from the experience of those four great men is they were very, very hard and they held you very accountable, but that you couldn't treat somebody or demand that type of performance out of somebody until I knew that they cared about me. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, Mike Smith was like a second father to me. You know, in my formidable teenage years, he was the head coach of Polk High School. Um, I was at his house. You know, he had kids my age, but he was like a dad to me. So when I did something in the classroom or, you know, was out running around with his boys, and, we, you know, he said, listen, like, you've got to understand this is the ramifications of that. And, so, and I was called the second dad impact. So my dad would tell me, hey, don't run with those kids at knuckleheads. But <laughs> coach Smith would say the same thing. And you understand because he cares about you. Yeah. You can't demand, you know, that type of accountability or performance until your people know that you're there and you're looking out for their best interests, right? Well, we used to always say that people don't care how much you know before they know how much you care, which is kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, what you said there, too, was something else I wanted to just check in on, Dave, is that uh, sometimes when you have people that say something, like your dad, he can say it over and over again and you almost mouth the words and roll your eyes, but then you have a third person or a third party that comes in and says something maybe almost exactly the same, but for some reason you hear it. Do you ever have that experience yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. So my wife, I I love her to death, but she could say, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not the image you want to portray or that's not, you know, the outcome you want. And I kind of, you know, roll it off, you know, like, and eh, whatever, you know, <laughs> and then, then like my, somebody in the office or my business partner, Nick Cleary, will say, hey, you know, we should probably do that, which is the same thing my wife just told me, uh, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, let's do it. And then I, <laughs> I go home and I hear it from her. Like, I just told you that, you know, but I think it's sometimes you need the separation. Right? Yeah, yeah it, that's good. Uh, you know, somebody who's a little bit detached, even if the message is the same, it seems a little different. And that's mm-hmm. what I got from those four great men was probably the same thing that I heard from my dad my whole life. But yeah. it was in a different tone, through a different avenue, through a different medium. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I just love, Dave, when we talk about these kind of influential peoples in our lives, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, I'm convicted by this. Have I told people how much they mean? Because there's some right. people that I still have meant so much to me 
and moments in my life that I've not been able to find them. I think I know where they're at, and I want to track them down to find them and let them know that they've made a difference. So is that something that you've done along the path, is try to really let people know how much you appreciate the moments they had with you? Well, I think that's a, that's a great point. So the next group of people would be Sal Derso and Cliff Carhauser. So mm. one thing Sal taught me through my years at this Pentium group is the value of the small drips, right? Oh, and so wow. what Sal would do was he would send a handwritten note, right, to your house, and you'd get that and open it up. And it was the most powerful thing mm. that just said, hey, you know, I appreciate you. Nothing business-related, even though he was my boss. And so I really implemented that into my life with my team and my clients. Is I still send handwritten thank you notes because it's the little things that make a big difference, oh, right? So true. Small hinges swing big doors, right? Well, I just love that. And honestly, i got to tell you, there's so much more we want to unpack on that because you're really bringing some pearls of wisdom right here. David, we're so glad you joined us here on the Michigan Business Network. I'm so glad you tuned in to the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Vershero. We're going to be right back. Michigan Works Association believes the key to advancing prosperity across the state is accomplished through building a skilled workforce. As the state's primary workforce development association, their focus is to continue to move the needle on policy, education, and collaboration. They're creating an opportunity and building stronger communities by advocating and innovating together. Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. We found Dave Norris, founder and CEO of Castle Financial Partners. And man, that last segment we got cut off because we had to go to break. But David, I'm so excited to hear you say the value of small drips because to me, um, I think that that really is a big, big thing because it's so funny. You probably remember uh, the old story of the husband and wife that's frustrated. She says, Honey, I don't understand. I tell you, I love you every day, and you never say it to me. Um, the last time I heard it was on our wedding day. And, and he says, that's right, honey. I told you on my wedding day, and I'll let you know if it changes. You know, so, I, well, how does that make you feel, right? And right. so the value of the small drips, and I'd like to know how it influences some of your business activities, too, because it sounds really a great element to deploy. Yeah, I don't know if I can stress this enough, because I think if you look at using marriage as an example, like, you know, you got to meet these people that you lead and find out what their love language is. No different than my wife, right? Mm -hmm. So I can tell my wife I love her every single day. If I'm not doing anything for her, it's simple as putting the milk back on the right shelf. For it, right? <laughs> um, you know, and so I try to find out what it is that drives each individual person a part of my organization and meet them there. And for some people, that might be simple. It's public recognition, that little handwritten note, I think, goes a long way, especially in today's modern technology, where yes. I think we take that for granted. Right. It hits differently because 
it takes more time than it does to write a thank you email, right? Yeah, and coming in the mail, you know, every person I send that to, I get a text message or an email or um, some sort of correspondence on how much that meant because I don't say anything. But, hey, I appreciate you. You're doing a great job. I just think as evidence of that, Dave, when you get a stack of mail, and a guy like you probably gets a pile of mail every day, but if you start flipping through the mail, the first thing you're going to pull out and look at and read is what? That handwritten address, that handwritten note that's in there. You go, well, what's this all about? You're going to turn that open because it's kind of the prize in the stack of the clutter. And uh, I just love that because... You know, in the bottom line business world that we live in, and I think you mentioned this working with bigger entities, nothing wrong with that. We need them all, um, and they're great organizations. But I have to tell you, um, that personal line touch and what you brought to your business, I think, is a pretty uh, exciting thing that can really uh, define you in the business place. And along the way, has some of those gentlemen that you mentioned, did they define some of your business practices, some of the direction that you've kind of tried to lay out in your career? You know, they really did, and like I said earlier, I've been really fortunate and blessed to have the mentors and leaders that I've had over the course of my, not just my career, but my life, but specifically, like, so Sal, one of the things he taught me in my time there, and I was really blessed to spend 30, 40 hours a week, every single week with a guy with 40 years of experience when I didn't have any, right? And so I kind of was his shadow for a while, but he taught me one thing that I'll never forget, and that's... People buy into the leader before they buy into the leader's vision. Hmm. And so that is really important. And that's just another way to say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? But Mm -hmm. in leadership, rather if you lead a small team or a huge company, they've got to buy into you as a person because of, you know, you follow the values that you preach, you're there, you know, you're present. Um, before they're going to buy into the vision where you want to take the organization. Right. And so I think that all comes back into, you know, leaders being comfortable with being who they are. And a lot of us at times aren't, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's another one that I learned from. You know, everybody has good traits and bad traits, right? And maximizing just your good traits and being comfortable in your own skin, I think is one of the things that in the leadership community we don't talk about enough. Yeah. But I've just been fortunate and blessed throughout my career to have people in my life who made a huge impact. What you just did there, though, is you brought up something I think is really important because as people work their way into higher and higher leadership roles, it almost feels like, and I've watched it, I've seen it, I think you have too, where they don't want to look bad or they feel like now I'm a leader and I've got this big title and I've got to be real cautious how I act, what I do, those kind of things. And there is a certain level of responsibility that leaders tend to have to have. They're almost in a fishbowl world because everybody's looking at you. But in your mind, you brought up something really important. I'd like you to just build on that a little bit because just be yourself. That shouldn't be that hard, right? But uh, sometimes we get all discobobbled, don't we? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Does your title change on your business card? You expect to have to look, act, and be a certain way, right? Yeah. And I think it's really important to be vulnerable with your team um, Mm. and really put your heart out there because now professionalism is one thing, right? And I'm just talking about being genuine and being yourself because I came from a very blue collar upbringing. So when I got into this business, it was, you know, my dad was a cop. My mom was an office manager, right? So it was very different. And now I'm telling people what to do with millions of dollars. And so you kind of said, inside of you like well I gotta act like this and I gotta look like that but 
people do business with people who they like and trust, yeah, right? Yeah. And so understanding that you're being yourself is almost as important as anything else because that's what people buy into. Yeah. Um, that's what your team buys into. And I can remember one of my teammates uh, early on, and this kid was like 20 years old, and I did a presentation in front of him. And I think at that time I was at principal, and there was 20 people I was giving a presentation from. And after we were done, he said, hey, why don't you just tell us what you really mean, boss? <laughs> this 19, 20-year-old kid, right, who was, I think, an intern at that time, just said, why don't you just tell us what you really mean? I said, because when I sit in your office chair, that's not the person I just saw, right? Wow. And so that really just blew my mind. And I was like, well, these people can smell fake, you know, well, even if you think you're trying to hide it. Oh, so, so true. Point, you know, so it it makes, all, makes all the difference. Well, I think that's really the thing I think is so powerful. And man, I think that you just got tons of lessons today, David. I'm so glad you're with us. So glad you tuned in to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Nick Bershaw. We'll be right back. What do so many successful businesses have in common? Proactive legal strategy. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer both business and personal legal counsel. For client convenience, they have offices throughout Michigan. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. Right here on the Michigan Business Network, I'm Vic Versero, and so glad we've got with us David Norris, founder and CEO of Castle Financial Partners. And David, your offices are located where? In what town right here in town? We're in Holt. Over in Holt. Yeah, very good. Well, you know, as I think about uh, what you just shared in that last segment, I think it was so powerful when you talk about being real. And uh, I personally have had uh, some different experiences along the way. One time I hired an agent, and I thought he was a big hire, important hire to me. I don't know. I went down to see him one day, and uh, I was acting different, I guess, because I was nervous or whatever. But I walked into his office, and I was there for probably 10, 15 minutes, and he just stopped everything. He goes, are you okay? <laughs> and I think it was because I was not being myself. I wasn't relaxed. And what you shared, I think a lot of people, just like a junkyard dog, can sniff out troubles, can sniff out all kinds of things and understand that along the way, man, something's not clicking here. And so I just love it when you get into this notion of being real. And so I think that's pretty important because you mentioned you're a, uh, let's call it a blue-collar guy. And now you're dealing with people that have multi-million dollar accounts with you, and you're working with them to take them from point A to point B to match their risk tolerance and everything else with all that. That's got to be a little stressful. And so do you find that they really like it when you're just one of the guys with them? Or um, do you feel sometimes there's clients that don't match up with you and maybe they'd be better somewhere else? What are your thoughts on that? That's a really good question. So I would say... 90% 90% of the time, they appreciate it. Just because somebody might have six or seven figures doesn't, you know, in our business, we already all put them on a pedestal, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't mean they're not just a regular person. Amen, right? Right. Like everybody puts their pants on the same line. Yeah. And so I think that that's something, I mean, that's any line of work, right? But we get all worked up, hey, I'm going to go meet with Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, CEO of XYZ Corporation. 
and we forget that they got to put their pants and shoes on the same way. I think it's just a some sort of way we protect ourselves too, right? Because yeah. everybody has some insecurities. Um, I just got to the point after doing this almost 15 years to kind of hit the second point of your question is some people will, some people won't, and so what, right? So if they don't like David Norris or Dave Norris for who he is, then I can respect that. Yeah. And that I think, especially in my business, because it's really based on long-term relationships. When you're retirement planning, you're really planning on you know, that money lasting through that person's death, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it really has to be on the same page in order to work with that. And I think the young people who get into this business, it's hard for them to see that, right? Yeah. And I used to take it personal too, but now I will say before, you know, that part of my normal talk track is before I tell a client within probably 10 minutes of the first meeting, the first intro meeting, if you don't like me in this meeting, don't come back. Just send me an email just that, hey, we're not going to be a good fit together, yeah. right? And so I know who I don't work well with. I've built kind of a team around me to help offset that, but I tell anybody, like, I'm not going to work well with attorneys, doctors, and accountants. Those just aren't my, <laughs> my flavor. And it's just because those people and their personality traits are just slightly different yeah. than mine, right? And so it's nothing wrong with those people. We have guys here who love to work with those types of people because they're the same analytical type personality but it's okay that like there's you know 330 million people in this country there's somebody else who <laughs> will find somebody to talk to right well i love what just happened there because it's so true in sales there's a four-letter word that we've got to teach um new sales associates right from the get-go and the word is next and the important part of that is, is that, look, you go in, you talk, you meet, you tell your story, and if it's not a fit, then no big deal. Just yell, next, and you move on to that next relationship, because that next relationship might be the one that's going to be fantastic and have dozens of referrals and additional pieces of business connected to it. But I think sometimes we get, especially the newer associates in any type of sales world, they get that big fish that they want to get on the line and they focus and pour all their energy into it. Meanwhile, there's schools of opportunity that are swimming right by and not giving a single thought to it because, man, they just want to hook that big one that puts them on the national leaderboard. So I love what you just did there because so much of that is trying to help people understand that, look, um, this is a world of abundance, not scarcity. When you're in the business in America, you have so much opportunity. And if you think that there's just such a limited resource, then every time you lose one, it's going to eat you alive versus the view of abundance, which is I've got an opportunity around every corner. And no matter where we go, we can jump on it and get after it. So, you know, when I think about what you share here, David, and the way that you lead people, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you've got a cup that runneth over and a full life of abundance. And so I'm glad you're sharing it here with us today, right here on the Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. So glad you joined us. We'll be right back.
Hi, this is Chris Holman, and as past chair of the National Small Business Association and a small business owner myself, I understand when you run a business, you rely heavily on your computer network. Now, you cannot afford lost data, lost customer information, and that's why you should trust your technology needs to ASK. Contact ASK at 877-ASK-4ASK for a free audit and analysis of your technology needs. That's 877-ASK-4ASK. Or find them on the internet at www.justask.net. ASK, taking the hassle out of technology so that you can run your business. Business Network. I'm Vic Versero, and I'm navigating the leadership lowdown right now with somebody that I'd put the captain of my ship any day. It's David Norris, founder and CEO of Castle Financial Partners. And David, um, you know, when I think about, you know, part of what my previous life used to be, I, there was a lot of people that I would hire and I'd have to screen and interview through and everything else. And when I think about somebody like you, you're building an organization and you've got to have the right people with you. And just the time we've spent together, there's no doubt in my mind that you have some principles that you believe in, things you stand for and things you won't stand for. So tell me, as you start selecting people for your organization, I bet you're a little picky on it, aren't you? Well, part of it is we have to be um, to protect the culture here, right? And so I think that's the number one thing is is how do we identify that, that somebody is going to fit in our culture? Yeah. And that's really, I'll be honest with you, I had that answer, I probably wouldn't be on this podcast if I had to be <laughs> in my book tour. Right. Um, but, so, you know, we try to do what's best. I think, you know, understanding, you know, as we're looking at people, we try to see if the values match. Yeah. So, do their values match our values? Because... I firmly believe when values are clear, decisions are easy, right? Yep. And so if they you know, match our values of transparency and hard work and putting people first over company or, or process and doing the right thing all the time, everything else we believe we can coach, but it's really difficult to find somebody where those values don't match. Um, you know, you mentioned in the last segment that we're next. Well, hard work, in my opinion, is understanding that yeah, this is there's a lot of people out there, and if you know I can't work with this person, then I can work with two of these people over here. Yeah. So you know, as we look to grow, and you know, this year, you know, we're not going to hire a ton of people. We'll probably bring four people in this year. We'll do a lot of interviews, probably in the north of uh, 150 to find four people. So yeah, it is hard, but it's not that. The 146 are bad. It's their values just don't match. Yeah, and I think that's the important part. Well, you bring up something that I think we used to talk a lot about in the hiring, which was we want to make a selection, not just a hiring decision. And what that means to me is that surfacing a number of really good candidates, and so those candidates have to come from all different walks of life, different backgrounds and everything else, and put them all in a pool. And then in that, going any one of them would be a good choice. But let's make the best choice from all the candidates we've surfaced. And so, so many times I see people very lazy in the recruiting process or the hiring process where they go with somebody who will rather than go looking and finding 10 people that will, and then selecting the best one from that. And so when I think about trying to build an organization, you said something, and I think without even knowing it, David, you mentioned it several times, you used the word fit. 
And as we talk about, am I a good fit for the client? Is the client a good fit for me? Do I have associates that are a good fit? So when you're building an organization, a culture, I see sometimes people, and i got to be careful of my words, but they sell their body and soul to make a sale or to convince somebody of something. And in the end, it was a bad decision because it really doesn't align well with everything. And I think that's what you're sharing today is that be true to yourself and make sure that you stand strong and in particular, make sure your values are clear and it makes all that decision making easy. Man, that's worth putting on a bumper sticker. You don't have that on the back of your car, do you, David? I know, but I'm going to. Uh, you should. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really good stuff. And I think it does beg the question. In your business, there had to be some dark days. Um, tell me how you survived some of those things uh, and make sure you keep everybody's head uh, screwed on tight and not panicking with the ship. So, yeah, there's been some dark days. Uh, I think support structures is important. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so I have a business partner. Um, his name's Nick McCleary. I've known him, oh gosh, uh, for 10, 15 years. And, uh, you know, having someone else to lean on, you know, I get a lot of credit for the organization because I founded it, but um, I always say I'm the face and not the brain. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so having people to help pick you up when you're down, um, because I am an abundance guy and I truly believe in that, but it, in the dark days, you find out how much you actually believe in that. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of goes back to values. Um, secondly, I believe as a leader, you have to find a way to put lipstick on a table. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, when things aren't going how they should be, you've got to find the positive all the time. So we used to have our Monday morning meetings, and we used to call them accountability meetings, right? And we got rid of that all that negative undertones from all of our team-type meetings and um, really talked about, hey, what really went well last week? Let's focus on that. It's Monday. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're on a Zoom call. Let's talk. What do you got to brag about, right? Uh -huh. and so we really want to, because this business, and I don't care if you're selling home and auto, or if, you know, you're trying to get somebody to invest money with you. It's tough. I mean, you know, you're going to get beat up a little bit. Yeah. And so it, uh, and then you get in the commercial side of things, and it's a whole different gambit. Right? <laughs> yeah, pay attention. And, and so I think the most important thing a leader can do, especially in dark times or when things aren't going well and you're, you're missing numbers and things like that is be the light oh, all the time, right? Even it. when you don't believe it, you've got to be the light and don't let them see you. I mean, you got to let them see you sweat a little bit because they care about you. And if you've got the right people around you, they'll do some extra things to help hit those numbers. But you don't want them to see you, you cry, right? Because right? yeah. so, once they start seeing you doubt it, they're going to start down. Yeah, no um, doubt. Well, I think that's just so powerful. And, and man, I can tell you, just in our time together here, David, you are the light. And it's just so great to hear you talk about that. These are pearls of wisdom that we know how to pass ahead. And we're so glad that we have an opportunity to grab David Norris right here on the Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versura. We'll be right back. Stop staring at your phone and plan some fun this winter at Treetops Resort. Dog sledding, tubing, sleigh riding, indoor golfing, ice skating, swimming, racing, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, scavenger hunting, juggling, or relaxing in the spa. That's just some of the fun you can have. And there's skiing, and snowboarding, and sleeping, and eating, and drinking, and eating and drinking while cross-country skiing. I think you get the point. Get outside. 
and have some fun or be boring. 888-TREETOPS or treetops.com. One lonely segment left, just one right here with David Norris on the Leadership Lowdown. He's the founder and CEO of Castle Financial Partners, and he's lighting up the Michigan Business Network right now with all the great things that he has to share. And in that last segment, you know, one of the things that kind of came to the back of my mind um, in the insurance and financial services, those kind of things, I've always said this, David, I'll see if you appreciate it or not, but I've always said in that business, you were paid precisely to the penny what you're worth. And what I mean by that is sometimes it's the lowest pay and most miserable job you can ever imagine, or it can be one of the most fantastic, high paying, amazing opportunities that you can ever imagine. And it's all up to you to decide where you fit on that spectrum. Do you buy into that? Yeah, I always say I'm overpaid for 10 months a year. I earned my keep for the other two. Yeah, well, you know, when I think about it, you're a growing organization, so there's probably a chance that you're looking for somebody. Would you be in a hiring mode right now? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think like most organizations right now, after the couple of years that have happened and the challenge in the job market, we've actually expanded kind of our search. So historically, we didn't have the resources or time to be in the training business, and a lot of companies in our business have got out of that. So we are open to willing to, for the right candidates who are the right fit to talk about that. And then, you know, we're always in expansion mode for your kind of seasoned financial advisors who might just be unhappy or, you know, looking to retire in a few years. So yeah. we do do some succession agreements there. Too. Well, it ultimately comes back to fit. Right? Yeah, if it is our word for the day. And one of the things I just want to double check on, um, you would take somebody that's never been in uh, you're into the business, right? You take a greenhorn completely, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, the right greenhorn, I think, is so valuable. And I think in our industry, we just get so impatient with it, right? Yeah, so yeah. We even have a program that's a little bit different where they're not on commission um, 100% in the front end, right? So they have time to, you know, evaluate the career and really get up and running first. You know, I know a lot of companies don't do that or maybe give you a stipend, uh early in the career and then that fades away. Um, we've developed a program specifically for you know, somebody with no experience to really financially um, bridge the gap as they build their business and then um, the training aspect. But, you know, everybody needs opportunity. And I wouldn't be here today if the Centennial Group wasn't hiring mm, people with no experience. That's right. right? That's right. I mean, like, how do you get experience? You well, you got to go get a job to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. so I'm very passionate about that, but I'm also not in the relationship burning business, mm-hmm. right? And so, nothing against the bigger companies that are going to hire 10 or 20 people every year. I just can't ruin that relationship capital because eventually that's going to impact the brand in a negative way. Absolutely. So, they um, become sweatshops or whatever. They just yeah, crank them through there. And, yeah. yeah. We don't hire 10 people and say, oh, we'll pay attention to the ones who show promise. Like, yeah. We probably take a little bit too long in our interview process or selection process um, because we want to make sure when they get here on day one that they don't say, well, hey, boss, you didn't tell me I was going to have that. Right, right. And so in my experience, I've done that. I've made a lot of mistakes over the years of hiring and developing people. But I think, you know, if you're not getting 1% better every day, then you're doing something wrong. I've always had the saying, you know, look at you lead people and you train dogs. So, you know, get out of the training notion. If you're looking for people of character 
and you're looking for integrity, you're looking for the personal characteristics of truly great people, then all of a sudden now um, hiring somebody isn't about to uh, find somebody with X amount of experience. Because I just want to say that about that. I've always considered some of the lazy hiring people. I guess I should watch my language, but I just think, I just think people... Well, yeah, just, you know, in today's world. But, you know, in, my frustration is that they want to get somebody that's a snap-on into their organization. And what I'm hearing you say, David, is that, no, 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 give me character. Give me somebody with all of the individual fits into our organization, and I can train them on the details and the stuff in the business, but I can't build character uh, into somebody that doesn't have it. And that's what I just love what you're sharing is that give me that raw resource, I'll mold it into greatness. And that truly is something that I think you're looking for in the long run. Yeah, so, I mean, things can work hard and they have good character and they care about people. I can do the rest. You right? bet. I mean, that's it. If they're out there, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, then go to castlefinancialpartnersalloneword.com and uh, my contact information is all on there. Oh, great. Um, you know, email is typically the best because I'm always running from one thing to the next. Uh, but that's uh, the easiest way. Yeah. Um, and then LinkedIn and our Facebook page is the other way to do it. That's great. Wow. Hey, I, this has really been fun. You are something, David. I am so grateful uh, to have met you and have a chance to hear your story. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. This was fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you joined us. And, you know, when you think about uh, some of the lessons learned in here, uh, don't be afraid to drop a note to David or to the station here, the network, uh, to let us know that you appreciated the conversation because there was a bunch of great things that I picked up along the way. And one thing I discovered is that the leader of uh, Castle Financial Partners is David Norris, a man of integrity, and a lot of great things going on there in terms of leadership. David, thank you so much. I wish you all the best and can't wait to uh, talk to you and meet you around town. This is Vic Versera right here on the Michigan Business Network. You found the Leadership Lowdown. We'll look forward to talking to you next time.